Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Reading from Matthew 9, 9-17. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins, If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. I'll just pray for Jez as he comes up. Lord, thank you for Jez. Um, Please bless him as he he brings your word to us today through the talk. Let us be open and and perceptive and, and ready to hear what you have to say to us through him. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. I should say at the outset, commiserations to all Irish rugby fans. I see, Rachel, you're bravely wearing the top. And of course, commiserations in advance to any England rugby fans, I'm sure. That will come soon enough. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Every time. So life is full of change, isn't it? It's full of physical change. We start off a bit smaller than we are now, and we get bigger and bigger throughout our lives, and all sorts of things change physically. There's intellectual change, isn't there, as we learn new information, as we take on new skills. There's character change as life circumstances affect us and shape us internally. But some things don't change, do they? We develop convictions, habits, ways of being that can be set and resistant to change. And sometimes that's a good thing. So it's very nice, for example, that we don't need to learn again every morning how to tie our shoelaces Um, I've got a four-year-old. I'm going to have to teach him how to tie shoelaces soon. I know that's going to be quite a battle. Just be thankful you've dealt with that battle, I presume, most of you already, and you're able to do it. So it's good we don't need to relearn everything. But sometimes a lack of change isn't a good thing, is it? We can perhaps get into bad habits. These can be on the less serious end of the spectrum. Maybe some of your housemates or maybe you have a tendency of leaving toothpaste marks on the sink. Maybe you're being nudged in the ribs by a housemate nearby, or maybe you're one of those people, and I used to have quite a few housemates like this, and it's not my wife Sharon, it's from my university days, but housemates who would bring their washing up to the sink and just leave it there and never do anything else with it and presume it would just magically be washed up. Or more seriously, we might get into ruts that are a bit more destructive, mightn't we? We might end up with very negative attitudes of bitterness, of selfishness, of laziness, or we might get stuck in destructive ruts like use of pornography, alcohol abuse, gambling, these sorts of things. 
And the Bible, in fact, tells us that we all need to change, and we're going to see that today. And I think when we look at the tragedies that are unfolding in the world today, and Andrew just prayed into many of them, we'd agree, wouldn't we, that change is needed. And we could talk about change, couldn't we, on a global level, in terms of politics. We could talk about societal change, what needs to change in the structure of our society. But often the Bible starts by pointing to us as individuals, pointing to our hearts. And I think that's a very good place to start, isn't it? We need change, and the best place to start is in our own lives. But how do people change? That's the big question today. How do I change? And in the passage we just heard, read to us from Matthew chapter 9, we heard about a man whose life changed radically when he had an encounter with Jesus. So I hope you have a Bible nearby. We're on page 733 in the church Bibles, if you need to find the page again. And do look down with me again at verse 9. And it says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now this man, Matthew, was working as a tax collector, or he may have been collecting customs dues, and he was probably working for Herod Antipas, who was a local ruler empowered by the Roman authorities over him. And tax collectors in those days had very negative reputations. Not only were they working for a colonial government, which made them unpopular, but they were often very corrupt, skimming things off the top, maybe skimming a lot off the top for themselves. So Matthew had chosen an unpopular career that had made him a bit of an outcast. And probably his motivation was a desire for wealth, for security, maybe for career advancement. And what did Jesus say to this unpopular man? Well, have a look down again. It's a very short sermon. We could memorize it quickly. He says just two words to him. Follow me. And that leads me to my first point. Let me flick onto it here. My first point, which is this. Jesus calls us to radical change. It was a short sermon. I regret shorter than this sermon today is going to be, but bear with me. Just two words, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him straight away. It's quite a transformation, isn't it? To instantly get up, leave behind his job, leave behind probably the place he was living, and follow this itinerant rabbi, this first century Jewish teacher. And it had a lot of implications in Matthew's life, and I think it probably meant at least four things. As I said, it meant leaving things behind. So he left behind all of the security, the wealth, uh, all of the career opportunities of that particular way of life he had. He also left behind its shame as well. But it was a complete break with things that had gone behind him. Then secondly, it meant a new master, Jesus, maybe we need to unpack it a bit, but when Jesus was saying, follow me, he was inviting Matthew to come and be a disciple, to be a learner, to sit at his feet, in a sense, and learn from him as his teacher. And so no longer was Matthew the boss of his own life, saying, I'll do this, I'll do that, but he was accepting that Jesus was now his boss and his authority. So it was a new master. Thirdly, it also meant a new community. Not only did Matthew have a new leader in Jesus, but he also had a new community, the other disciples. And uh, finally, it also meant a new, uh, a new calling or a new purpose. So up until now, Matthew had been pursuing his own desires for wealth and security and social advancement. But now he had a new calling 
to be part of what Jesus' mission was all about. And if you were to flick ahead onto the next page in your Bible, you'll see at the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is already sending Matthew out with the other disciples to go out on a, a kind of mission trip to heal, to preach, and to teach. So he had a new calling. His whole life's work was about a different thing now. But he had a choice, didn't he? As he sat there at his tax collector's booth and he heard this two-word sermon, he had a choice. He could have stayed where he was. And maybe as we hear Jesus call to us today, and we hear those two words, which are words not only for Matthew, but also for us, we're tempted to stay in whatever our equivalent of that tax collector's booth is. And it can be a challenge, can't it, to leave that place And there might be some things that are holding you back from saying, yes, I want to respond to those two words and follow Jesus. Maybe it's intellectual questions. And there are lots of good intellectual questions people can have about the Christian faith. You might be thinking, oh, how can I trust what the Bible really says? What about God and science, evolution, the Big Bang? How do these things all fit together? What about questions of morality and justice and philosophical topics. How do these all fit together with the Christian worldview? There could be intellectual questions. And if you have intellectual questions, please do look into them. Or come and talk to me. Talk with someone in the church leadership. We'd love to point you to some resources to wrestle through those and and hopefully persuade you why we think uh, following Jesus is true and it's reliable and it's credible and it's trustworthy. Or it might be that if you're in this place, the tax collector's booth equivalent, that You're not yet prepared to leave behind the things that are holding you there. And for Matthew, there may have been a a moment of wrestle when he thinks, oh, am I really going to leave behind all of this? Am I really going to take up the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? And to follow Jesus will be costly. In some parts of the world, it might be pretty close to signing your own death sentence. It's not that here. But there'll be a cost, and there should be a cost for all of us in following Jesus. So maybe that's what's holding you back for the moment. There could be many things, but for all of us, let's not miss the impact of what Jesus is saying. He said it to Matthew 2,000 years ago, and he's saying it to us now as he speaks to us, to his word. Follow me. Here's an invitation to get up from what you're doing, to change the direction of your life, and to start following a new master, to take on a new calling and purpose, to join a new community. Now, many of us, of course, have already made that decision. We've made the first step, if you like, to follow Jesus. But still, that call that he presented to us to follow me is relevant for us, isn't it? I don't know how long it is that you've been following Jesus, if you are following him. For me, it's now more than 20 years. Can you believe it? I'm already in my 30s, I know. To to many of you, that feels extraordinary age. And to me, it's beginning to feel like that as well. But, you know, for me, having followed Jesus already for more than 20 years now, I still need to hear that call every day to follow him. It's not just a one-time thing to pray a prayer once and then forget about it. No, it's a call to offer every moment of our lives, every day, in following him. So we need to be praying and seeking by God's power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live out what it means to follow Jesus in every moment of lives. On a Monday morning just as much as here on the Sunday afternoon, when we're in the law courts or working in engineering or 
studying at university, doing whatever we're doing just as much as when we're at our city group or with our Christian friends or reading our Bible. And we need wisdom, don't we, to work out what does it mean to live for Jesus, to follow him in those different settings with all of the challenge and complexity that they represent. So we do need to be part of this community, don't we? We need to be shaped by it. We need to invest in it. We need to be listening to God speaking to us in his word. We need to be allowing that to shape and transform us. But let's, all of us, wherever we are, whether we're still on the outside, as it were, looking in, or we're on the inside, having already decided to follow him, let's hear that call again. Follow me. And let's know it's not a call for a life with just a sprinkling of Jesus on top of basically whatever we want to do. But to follow me, as Jesus said, is a call to live wholly and solely for Jesus Christ. So let's hear that challenge today and let God speak to us in the ways that we need to hear it. Now, whenever there's radical change in someone's life, there's opposition, isn't there? And the same was, the true, was true for Matthew. There were people who didn't like what was happening to Matthew and who didn't like what Jesus was doing. So let's look down again and we'll look at uh, verse 10. So pick up your Bibles again and let's look at verse 10. And it says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this leads to my second point. Firstly, Jesus calls us to radical change. Secondly, we're all called to change. Now, who were the Pharisees? They were, if you like, conservative, religious people who took the Bible seriously and who tried to live it out. And they were scandalized by this scene to see a religious teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, eating with the likes of this corrupt collaborator, Matthew, and all of his dodgy friends. They didn't think this was the thing to be doing at all. And what does Jesus say in response? We'll have a glance down at verse 12. He gives his diagnosis. He's come for the sick, not the healthy. Now, praise God for all of those doctors and nurses and medical professionals working in our congregation. You're doing a great job. And uh, I preached this sermon this morning at our South congregation. And afterwards, I spoke with a couple of the doctors and I said to them, you, you do spend a lot of time with sick people, don't you? And they said, yes, yes, we, we do, we do. It's, it's, it's a truism, isn't it? Doctors care for those who are in need. They care for the sick. And this is the point. Jesus came for people in need. For the sick, for sinners, if you like. People who recognize that they've fallen short of God and people who recognize that they have a need of God. And some of us can readily identify with that, I'm sure. We look at our lives and we think, I'm not good enough for God. I have fallen short of him. I'm not the person that I should be. And if that's you, then there's good news because this passage says Jesus came for you. He came for the sick, not the healthy. He came for sinners, not the righteous. So there's good news for you. But did you notice who else he calls to change? In these verses, there were the Pharisees there who came to judge and condemn. And Jesus points them to the Bible. 
It's as though he's saying, you know your Bibles well, but check out this verse. And he reads it to them. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quotation from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's a great book. I commend it to you if you haven't read it. And it's a kind of summary of that whole book in a sense. And God is pointing the Pharisees, or Jesus is pointing the Pharisees to the heart of the faith. He's saying it's about mercy, or if you like, steadfast love, restoration, transformation. It's not so much about sacrifice. Those external things of the faith were things that the Pharisees were very concerned about, about how to properly wash your hands, about how to fast in the right way, how to tithe in the right way, how to pray and fast in the right way, and hopefully so that people could see you. But Jesus is exposing that they've focused so much on these external things, the rules, if you like, to keep their faith in shape, that they were completely neglecting the heart. And so he exposes them with this verse from the book of Hosea. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And we read this kind of thing in the New Testament as well, in lots of other places. So you probably know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's often read at weddings. Um, but actually, Paul wrote it as a rebuke to the church in Corinth. And it, it has this whole uh, chain of beautiful sayings, doesn't it? Uh, if I speak in the tongues of angels and men, but have not love, I am a resounding gong and a clashing cymbal. If I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it is worthless. In other words, to do all of this external stuff, but miss the heart, is to miss the point entirely. And so Jesus is exposing the Pharisees. He's saying, guys, you're missing the point. And what he's actually challenging them about is to say, all of us are sick and in need of a doctor. All of us are sinners and in need of a saviour. And you know what? As I've been reading this this week, I have felt the challenge come home to me. Because in this scene, I think I would probably naturally sometimes be tended to tend to side with the Pharisees a little bit. It's easy, isn't it, if you've been following Jesus for a while to start maybe looking down at other people, to be very concerned about the externals, about the rules that God gives to keep our faith on track, and to begin to get a slightly cold heart, and to begin to look down on other people. And so God has been challenging me as I've been reading this, don't be one of the Pharisees. Don't miss what God is doing. Don't start developing a cold and hard heart. Recognize that you too, like Matthew, like the tax collectors and sinners, are also sick and in need of a doctor, are also a sinner and in need of a saviour. And I think that's a word to all of us who are following Jesus. So we're all called to change, aren't we? It's not just Matthew and the tax collectors and sinners, but it's also the Pharisees. They're called to change just as much. It's not just the irreligious, but it's also the religious. It's not just those who give no thought to God, but also those who think about God a lot, who are called to change and who are called to be humble and who are called to have soft hearts before him. Well, let's move on then to a third point. And uh, before we do, we're going to read again from verses 14 to 17. So look down in your Bibles again. We'll pick up the thread here. In verse 14, it says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? 
Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So there are three images used here of a bridegroom at a wedding, of wine and wineskins and of a garment and patching it with cloth. And the major point through all of these is, I think, this. Let's make space for change. Jesus calls us to radical change. We're all called to change. Make space for change. So in the previous scene in this passage, the Pharisees had come to Jesus, and in a sense, they'd accused him of being immoral. You're spending time with the riffraff, with dodgy people. And now the disciples of John the Baptist are coming to him and are accusing him of being irreligious, of not fasting enough, of not observing these rules of the faith. And Jesus uses these three images I've mentioned to respond to them and to explain that we need to make space for change. So I can't pick up all of them in any detail, but let's just talk about this idea of the wineskins. In the first century, when people were looking to preserve wine, they would make a, a, a wineskin from an animal hide, and to begin with, it would be soft and pliable and have a little bit of movement in it, but over time, it would gradually become hard and stiff, and eventually it would become completely immovable, as it were. It would just be a solid object. And if you poured new wine into one of those old wineskins, the new wine would still ferment a little bit, some movement would emerge in it, and if the thing was corked too tightly, eventually there would be so much expansion that it would burst out of the bottle, and the bottle would be ruined, and the new wine would be ruined. And so the point that Jesus is making is that we need to make space for the change that he wants to bring in our lives. There were ways in which Matthew had to make space for that change. He couldn't pour the new wine of a life as a follower of Jesus into the old wineskin of his life as a tax collector. It was a radical break. Not everyone is called to leave their profession, but he was, or, or at least he decided to do it. He had to step out of it, to leave that old wineskin behind and move into a new way of life in order to be able to accept what Jesus was doing in his life. And it could be that that's a relevant challenge for some of us, that God is speaking to us and pointing us to leave behind certain old wineskins of things we've been saying or doing or believing, things that have been part of our lives that can't hold the change and the growth and the fruitfulness and the transformation that Jesus has for us. Or maybe uh, the new wineskins that we need will be accomplished by stepping more into what God is calling us. So there was a stepping away and there's a stepping into. Remember, Matthew stepped into a new community, didn't he? And maybe for some of us, the challenge is to really wholeheartedly step into this community at CCC, not to stay at the edges on the outside, but to step in to a city group, to step in to more meaningful discipleship and accountability so that God can do the change he wants to do in your life. Or maybe we need to step more into our calling uh, you remember Matthew was given a, a, a calling that resulted in him, in him straight away in Matthew chapter 10 being sent out to preach and 
to teach and to heal and all the rest of it. And we need to think through what does our calling look like as followers of Jesus in the places where God has put us, as PhD uh, computing students, to choose one example. You know, whatever we're doing, what does it look like to follow Jesus in that sense? We need to step into that. We need wisdom, we need prayer, we need our community to help us work out what it looks like. So let's not be old, stiff wineskins like the Pharisees, unable to contain and relate to this change that Jesus wants to bring in our lives. Let's make space for change. And just as a note, uh, not all change is instantaneous, and that should be obvious, but I think it's an important point to say there was a sudden instantaneous change in Matthew's life, but if you like, that was a first step. And maybe the change that God is calling some of us to is that first step. At the moment, we're on the outside. We're not following Jesus. And we hear that call, follow me. And the change that God wants for us is that first step to start following him for the first time. But there are other kinds of change and growth that might take a whole lifetime, mightn't they? And often the image that the Bible uses for change is uh, is the idea of fruitfulness. The, uh, The Bible uses images of farming and harvest. And of course, if you plant a seed, you can't go back to it the next day and immediately harvest it. There'll be nothing there. It takes time. It takes sunshine. It takes rain. It takes nutrients in the soil. It takes time before you can go to your apple tree or whatever it is and pick the apples from it. And much of the change that God is looking for in our lives, once we've taken that first step to follow him, will take a long time. And there might particularly be some complex things in our lives that will take a long time to process as we seek change in those areas. So there's an initial change as the first step. There's an ongoing change as followers of Christ. And then finally, there's a change the Bible speaks of that will only happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. A change that will only be accomplished on the last day. And there's a wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, and Paul says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So that's a great change to look forward to, and I'm certainly looking forward to that final change when all that God has been doing in my life is finally completed and I'm raised imperishable. That's the great hope those who are following Jesus are looking forward to. So there's a call to change, isn't there? For all of us, the religious, the irreligious, the conservative, uh, the Pharisee, and Matthew, the libertine. And just finally, we're not called to change solely by our own effort. This isn't a message to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to strive to grit your teeth and to try really hard just to be a better follower of Christ. Jesus called Matthew to follow him. And Matthew followed him as Jesus would ultimately make his way towards the cross. Jesus, the one who called Matthew to be his disciple, would ultimately lay down his life for Matthew and for all who would follow him. The great physician, Jesus, who identified that the sick need a doctor would ultimately take their sickness on himself as he died for his people on the cross. 
There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah 53, isn't there, that says, by his wounds we are healed. And so let's keep looking to Jesus as we seek the change that God wants to achieve in our lives. Let's keep looking to him. Let's keep cultivating humble hearts. Let's not be with the Pharisees looking down and judging others. Let's consider ourselves sinners in need of a savior, as sick in need of a doctor. Let's be secure in the great love of our great physician who laid down his life so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored, so that we could be friends with God once more. Well, I'd like to pray, and perhaps we could stand. And we're going to have a song as well. As the musicians come, let's take a moment of stillness. I don't know how God may have been speaking to you this morning, this afternoon, or where you might be on that continuum, whether you're at the beginning, like Matthew, at the tax collector's booth, thinking, am I going to take the first step? Or whether you're somewhere in the middle and God is challenging you about something you need to leave behind or something you need to step into. Maybe you're challenged by making space for change and you sense a brittleness of heart and a coldness of heart like an old wineskin. Well, don't miss whatever it is that God is saying to you. If you need to come and pray with someone at the end or speak with someone at the end, do do that and let me pray. Our Lord and God, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who called Matthew to follow him. And we thank you, O God, that we hear that call also. Jesus, even this day, through his word, is calling us to follow him too. And we do thank you, O God, for the joy it is to follow you, even in the midst of all the challenges as well. And we thank you for the change that you want for us. And thank you for your, your Holy Spirit and the power that you've given us in order to be able to make that change, for the community you've given us to help us make that change, and for the great hope we have that at the last day when the Lord Jesus returns, we will be changed in an instant at the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And so, God, be at work in all of our lives and make us open, give us soft hearts, like Matthew, we pray, to receive the change that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.